Welcome to the Landis Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. Thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Tom Guinan, and I'd like to welcome you to the August 7th episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Cheyenne Dunham is on vacation this week, so I'll recap the corn and soybean markets for the week. September corn futures lost three and a half today, ending at 307 and three quarters, and that is down eight and a quarter from last Friday. December corn lost three today, ending at 320 and three quarters, and that's off six and a quarter for the week. November soybeans lost 10.5 today to finish the week at 867.5. That's down 25 for the week. January beans were also off 10.5 today, ending at 874, losing 24 this week. The big story this week was the drop in corn and soybean prices on Tuesday. We saw corn lose 8 to 9 cents that day, while soybeans were off 13 to 14 cents. The crop condition scores were part of that, but we also saw one of the first private analyst estimates for the final USDA numbers. StoneX, formerly INTL FC Stone, released their expectations late Monday, and they were bearish for both corn and soybean values. We'll get into the details in a bit. We'll see more of these private analysts in the coming days ahead of the August WASD report. And over the next few weeks, there will be various groups crisscrossing the Midwest taking good looks at corn and soybean fields and trying to estimate yields and production numbers. As I mentioned earlier, Cheyenne and I are alternating weeks of vacation, but we will continue to update the markets and the bull bear factors each week. So with that, let's walk through some of the factors impacting values this week. On the corn side for the bull factors, as expected, export sales for new crop corn last week were huge, coming in at 102 million bushels. This was right at the top end of the market's expectations. Total commitments for next year now stand at 430 million bushels versus 160 million at this time last year. This is also the most at this point in 24 years. Chinese purchases total almost half of those at 210 million bushels. I continue to believe that this is the one thing that could push corn prices significantly higher. If China continues to buy corn at the pace that we've seen recently, they could easily trim that large ending stocks number enough to push corn prices off their lows and come back up 20 to 30 cents or more. Maybe that's wishful thinking. But if they ever get serious about corn-based ethanol, it seems that they will either need to import more corn or import ethanol. Either way would be good for the U.S. farmers, even if it didn't come from the U.S. The U.S. dollar continues to weaken, and we in the U.S. ag industry generally like that as it makes U.S. commodities far more competitive internationally. But there is a growing sentiment that we've fallen too far. Some countries are now moving away from the dollar as the currency to conduct international business in and are relying more on the euro. Analysts at Goldman Sachs recently warned that the dollar status as a reserve currency is at a risk due to ballooning fiscal deficits, a potential shift in favor of inflation at the Federal Reserve amid domestic unrest and a resurgence of coronavirus. Crude oil values continue to hang in that $40 per barrel area, with September trading just above $41 as we end the week. While this is much better than those $20 marks we saw in April, we'll need to see it climb closer to $50 and stay in that area to pull corn prices higher. On the bear side for corn, nationally, crop ratings remained at 72% in the good to excellent categories, compared to 57% last year at this time. Iowa did drop another four points and is now at 73%, and also below its five-year average of 74%. The problem comes in other states, like Illinois gaining two points to get to 76%. Minnesota gained another point and is at 85%, well above last year, and seven points better than their average. Nebraska added two points, and at 77% is a little above last year, 
and their five-year average. Indiana is now at 67%, up from 65%. As mentioned earlier, the other bearish info this week was the Stonex data showing their estimate of 182.4 bushels per acre. Stonex is estimating what the final USDA yield and production numbers will be. They are not trying to determine what the USDA will say in next week's updated WASD. Another private analyst, HIS Market, formerly known as Informa, is estimating the national yield at 179, just above the USDA's 178.5 number. We'll see more of these private analyst expectations ahead of the Wednesday report. Ethanol production dropped back last week from 282 million gallons to 274 million. This is the largest single week decline in 16 weeks. This is also more than 10% off of the same week last year when we saw 306 million gallons produced. Even with that information, some analysts do not expect a change by the USDA in Wednesday's report. There is a thought that with the recent uptick in ethanol production, USDA's corn for ethanol demand of 4.85 billion bushels is possibly only 10 million bushels too high. If that's the case, they will most likely wait until the end of the year to make any adjustments. Ethanol stocks also rose last week, but just slightly from 851 million gallons to 855 million. Gasoline demand dropped as well last week and is staying in line with a 10% decrease reflected in ethanol demand. Export inspections declined again last week, falling to a 15-week low. Coming in at 28.2 million bushels, this was at the very bottom of the market's expectations. The previous week was 33.1 million bushels. There is growing speculation that the USDA's yearly estimate of 1.775 billion bushels may be a little too high, given the past few weeks of shipments. In order to meet the current estimate, we'll need to average 30 million bushels per week during August. Another strange occurrence happened Tuesday when word spread about the massive explosion in Beirut, Lebanon. Initially feared to be some sort of terroristic event, it now appears to be a catastrophic accident involving ammonium nitrate. Apparently there was a vessel carrying 2,750 metric tons of this industrial fertilizer that arrived in Lebanon in 2013. There are varying stories, but it sounds like the cargo was offloaded into a warehouse at the port some time ago, even though the boat has remained in the port. And now for the soybean bull factors. New crop export sales for last week were strong at 51.6 million bushels, above the top end of expectations. New crop commitments now total 566 million bushels, far surpassing last year at this time with 134 million bushels. This is the most we've seen in six years for late July. Old crop sales are a little different story as they came in at just 12.7 million bushels. However, the total sales on the books will now get us to the USDA's current estimate of 1.65 billion bushels for the year. The only caveat here is that all of these sales need to be shipped in the next four weeks. July's NOPA crush report will be issued on Monday the 17th. We should expect another good month of domestic processing and a continuation of the record annual pace they've been on. As far as the bear factors for soybeans, the crop ratings improved one point nationally and now sit at 73% in the good to excellent categories. Iowa lost another three points down to 73%. Most of the rest of the big production states remained unchanged from a week ago with Illinois staying at 76%. Minnesota is still at 84%. Indiana did gain three to hit 68%. South Dakota also gained a point and now sits at 85%, while Nebraska lost a point but is at 79%, well above last year and their five-year average. The Stonex numbers point to a 54.2 bushel per acre yield with a production number just under 4.5 billion bushels this year. The HIS market estimate came in at 52.5 bushels per acre. Regardless of the analyst, it appears we're on pace for an increase from the USDA's current 49.8 bushel national yield. 
as most are calling for something greater than 51 bushels per acre. Export shipments last week totaled 20.3 million bushels. This was right in the middle of expectations, and while it's the most in three weeks, it's still running below the 30 million per week we'll need to hit that USDA's projection for the year. If we stay on this 20 million per week pace, they'll need to cut around 35 to 40 million bushels from their current expectation. In our What to Watch for and Upcoming Events segment, as we've mentioned, the USDA will release their August WASDE report on Wednesday the 12th. We expect changes to demand and their first change to the yield numbers since their initial estimates. During the week of August 17th, Pro Farmer begins their annual crop trip. We should expect daily updates and their final numbers sometime on Friday the 21st. And now for Tom's take. Recently, I rewatched the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. I'd seen this movie many years ago, and I remembered it as being a good movie. I'd forgotten just how good the story was. I remembered it mostly as a story about the Oakland A's baseball team and how they put together a 20-game winning streak. As I watched it this time around, I couldn't help but be struck by some of the revolutionary thinking that took place in their organization. They really changed the way that baseball was thought of by those in management. They focused on what was important, as well as what really wasn't important. I was able to find an entire article online about how it was really an amazing lesson in organizational change. There's a scene early on in which Jonah Hill's character, Peter Brand, explains to Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean, that the problem with the way everyone in management was approaching baseball was all wrong. They were all chasing the next superstar player. Peter Brand believed that they shouldn't be buying players. What they should be trying to do was buy wins, and the best way to do that was to get hits. Just get on base. The more people on base, the greater the odds that they will score. The more scores, the more wins. Later on, Pitt's character, the manager of the team, is helping some of these players understand the small differences in what they were trying to do now as opposed to what the players had learned to believe over the course of their lifetime. One of the players said, but you're paying me to steal bases, to which Billy Bean responds, no, I'm paying you to get on base, not get thrown out at second. I started to think about all of this in terms of marketing grain. Many of us have learned over our lifetime that if we just sit back and wait, something good might come along and save us, and that we'll be able to hit a home run if we're just patient enough. It occurs to me that, like Major League Baseball, we should really consider changing the way we strategically think about marketing grain. Look for a base hit. Just get on base. I've told some people that there's a reason they aren't very good at marketing grain. I also tell them that there's a reason why they are good at growing crops. They like to grow crops, and they hate marketing grain. So every chance they get to learn something new, they gravitate towards learning how to grow crops better. And they avoid the one thing they hate, marketing grain. It's easy to see, and very easy for me to point out, but I know it's very difficult to change. However, I've actually told a couple of people they should just quit trying to get better at marketing grain. Just stop. And then give that responsibility to someone else in the organization. Let your son, your wife, your daughter, your daughter-in-law have that responsibility and then get out of their way. And also realize they're going to make mistakes. You already know that you have. Let them, because that is when they are going to learn. You go ahead and keep learning about fertility and hybrids and machinery and new farming techniques, but let them spend their time learning about marketing grain. I've often thought about farming like running a small manufacturing business. Think of yourself as a CEO. Do you think the CEO of a manufacturing business would even try to do everything? Maybe at the very beginning, when they're working out of their garage. But as they grow, they simply can't do everything. In order to be successful, they'd have to hire a good accountant, a good mechanic, a person to sell the product, etc. It's called division of labor. Find the specialists you need, or grow them inside your organization, and hold them accountable for their part of the business. 
the CEO still has to oversee it all and get regular updates and maybe challenge someone's thinking from time to time, but they sure wouldn't do it all as the business got bigger. I've rambled enough for now. But if you get a chance, watch that movie again sometime. Try to absorb some of the lessons from the story. I think we're going to need a lot of base hits in the next year or two. Quit trying to swing for the fence and get that home run. Just get on base. Learn one new marketing alternative this year. Or just find someone to do that thing that you hate to do and give them the responsibility. Thanks for listening. I think that's all we have for you today. We appreciate you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter. If you'd like to contact us, you can send a tweet to at Landis Co-op or drop an email to podcast at LandisCooperative.com. Our tagline is bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. If you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you again next week. <music>